<clears throat> We're on. It is Ben. And I'm Cammie. And welcome to the Fight for Together podcast. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. We are going to be doing this new thing today called not smoking. Yep. New Year's resolution. Just kidding. Do not recommend. Um, <laughs> okay, today's episode is going to be a bit bit of a mix-up, which I think if you're a regular, you will no doubt be able to hang. <laughs> um, and we're going to be blending some things from some different areas of our life here, which are very near and dear to me. And what we're going to be talking about today is cancel culture. Hmm parenting and the biggest decision on our Appalachian Trail hike and blending those things together (laughs) all in 45 minutes so we can pick our kids up from the dentist. (laughs) So I wanted to start off with talking about cancel culture first because that's what put this on my radar is this article that I just read. It's called Cancel Culture Versus Toleration, The Consequences of Punishing Dissent. And I'm going to post the link to this in the show notes. Of course, if you want to watch this on YouTube, you can with video, or you can listen to it on all the podcasting platforms if that's easier for you just for audio, like iTunes and Google and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. Um, This article, I really like it, and it for those that aren't familiar with cancel culture, like, or just for the heck of it, let's give like a, I'm going to give a 20 second summary of what I think it is. <clears throat> it's basically when society thinks that a person no longer ha- should have a voice or a platform. At or at all. least enough of the society or a mob. <laughs> yeah, based mm-hmm. upon their actions. Now, their actions might be terrible. Like in the case of Michael Jackson, he molested little boys. But then what cancel culture says, it doesn't just say that molesting little boys is terrible. It takes it a step further and says, because you molested little boys... No one should enjoy your music anymore. And by the way, this can happen like years after people die, centuries after people die. Now, I think this is a dangerous way of thinking because I don't think most of the world works this way, where the good cancels the bad or the bad cancels the good. I think oftentimes these things can and are better if they coexist and if we separate them by saying Michael Jackson molesting little boys is dangerous and harmful and should be dealt with in its way, both by healing the little boys and by any type of retribution that would be beneficial. But I also think it's just as valuable to say Michael Jackson's music kicks ass. And when you blast it, it can still make you feel good. Mm -hmm. 
But I think where people get confused, and I've gotten confused, is if I'm listening to his music, am I endorsing his behavior? Like that's a confusing thing, I think, for a lot of people to even think they are endorsing it or even to be, appear to be endorsing it. Because we see people as a singular message or object at a time. Michael Jackson used to be the king of pop. He used to be uh, talented and wonderful, and now he's bad. Mm. So therefore, if you listen to anything, you're endorsing the badness, not the previous labels. Mm. Yeah. It's it's seeing someone as all good or all bad and not seeing that there's a mixture of that in all of us. Which society loves this shit. We love to simplify people. Lance Armstrong was a goddamn hero until he was a villain. Mm -hmm. And why can't we say he's both? Yeah. I mean... It's true of all Because you have to accept that in yourself. You have to accept that you're both. But if you haven't accept that, accepted that in yourself, then I think it's harder to accept it in someone else. Shit, that's next level. I like that. Yes, I agree. But headlines and news articles cater to simplicity. <clears throat> yeah. Which is one of the things driving me crazy about COVID right now, by the way, and I'm not going to get into it. Except for life is not that simple. But people want simplicity they want to know where's the bad guy where's the good guy and it hooks you what do i need to do when it's simplicity. what do i need to avoid yeah they're like fast food is bad organic is good um robin williams was bad then robin williams is good weinstein is good now he's bad master good it's just like and life is never if your viewpoint of life is that simple i just would say that there's room to grow yeah, and I think your or our if our life is that simple, our ability to love and accept ourselves and other people is going to be very limited. Yeah, so I'm going to read a few lines from this article. Cancel culture is a threat to a liberal society because it seeks to shape the available information rather than seek truth. So instead of like asking who are these people really that we're attempting to cancel, cancel culture itself, just the very fact that it exists, and I'm staying away from specific examples because I don't really care. I mean, I'm using examples just to explain what cancel culture is, but I'm not trying to rescue anyone right now or put anyone on the spot that's currently being canceled. But just the cult, that, that idea of a movement of, um, boycott so-and-so's record, book, movie, podcast, YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. It basically says, I want the culture to become this, and I'm not willing to listen to this person. How is that to get there? different in a way from locking someone up because they did something quote-unquote bad? I think it's a very similar solution. I think it is too. Um and it really erases someone's humanity to treat them that way. Well, when you put them in the black or white category, yeah. When you when you categorize someone as a criminal, as a villain, yeah, as a child molester solely, and I'm saying we all can carry these 
as aspects of who we are. But anytime you take any one person, you say, this is all of who you are. Yeah. On the flip side, I think if you do that to celebrities, you erase their humanity. If you just say, oh, they're my idol. They're... Which I think is just as naive and dangerous. I I agree. Because anytime you set someone up to be a hero, you're one story away from turning them into a villain. You almost have to. And it's not actually very loving to them. I don't think yeah. to do that. It's it's using someone. It's just simple. Basically, but simple way to live. Yeah. Okay, the next line. Canceling is different than healthy criticism because canceling is about shaping the information battlefield, not seeking truth. And its intent or at least its predictable outcome is to coerce conformity. So what people will say, this is where it gets a little bit crazy, is there people aren't comfortable saying, I'm not going to listen to Michael Jackson's music. They go on to say, no one should listen to Michael Jackson's music. Now, the irony mm-hmm. of this Michael Jackson example I'm using is I don't even think he was ever canceled. But some of the stuff he did was, I think, way crazier. I don't know how he got out of it. I mean, maybe being dead helps. But... Maybe, yeah. Or his family is still powerful and alive, and they were supporting him even after he was dead. Well, he had some diehard fans, man. Yeah. But um, I know this because we made that Michael Jackson episode like a couple years back, and we got so many people who didn't even watch it, but in the comment section were just like calling us out and defending him like crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you guys blind? Like, have you not seen this information? And I wasn't even calling for his cancellation, by the way. I was just saying, this is some crazy shit that went down. Anyways, the, the key word here I want to call out is coerce conformity. Okay, this is one of the key aspects of cancel culture, where it's not just saying, we all have the freedom to choose to listen to Michael Jackson or not, and I'm going to respect your choice and you respect mine. It's saying anyone who now listens to Michael Jackson... is going to be canceled as well. Is, yeah, you exactly. <laughs> And it becomes this really kind of mob mentality, which I'm going to call out this whole mask issue and just draw the um, parallels, not even giving my opinion on masks themselves. But if you want to wear masks or not wear masks and believe that they should be worn in ABC environments, I am completely fine with that. The second you believe every single person ought to do that or not have a voice. It becomes a dogma at that point. We are in very dangerous territory, even if you're right. Even if there's science that backs it up. People say, but it's science. It's like, okay, yeah. But that does not, anytime you are in a realm of coercing conformity, no matter how right you are, if you are forcing other people, trying to force other people to think the same way you are, which I think is actually impossible anyways, to change the way, to force someone to think differently. It, But is it? Because I think there's <clears throat> cases to be made with like cult-like um, brain mentalities where someone gets brainwashed or indoctrinated and they actually start thinking differently than they maybe would have on their own. That's actually a great example because I agree with you 
you can force people to think differently. But then that's still an extension of you. That's probably not their true self. Yes. And the yeah. cost is very high. That's why you see these people in these cults have these mental breakdowns. Because you can't force someone to think differently and have it work out. No matter, even if you're forcing them to think differently in a better way, which mm. most cults do not do. Okay, a few more lines. Um, our vibrant and evolving world depends on diverse ideas and cultures. In a homogeneous society, ideas and customs can be stagnant for generations. Hmm. So the very idea of evolution and growth in an in an ecosystem like let's take a animal or plant world like a rainforest you can't just have palm trees even if palm trees are awesome hmm. you need to have beetles and ants and fungus and predators and then snakes and birds and all sorts of little shit that no one thinks about for it to all kind of work out and some people don't like beetles, but they're important to have an ecosystem of health and growth. They don't like beetles, but they like coconuts. But you might not have a coconut without a beetle. Exactly. <laughs> and you you literally need shit. You need the animals. They, they uh, excrete, they poop, and they kill each other. And those all turn into the fertilizer for the next generation. Um, so... I mean, that's a, a biological reality. But if you, what happens if you kill all the beetles or only have... Well, they've done this stuff. They've, re yeah. they've reintroduced. They think it's like so simple that you like, oh, um, like on, there's all these like stories where if you reintroduce, you introduce an animal, like certain islands have had rat problems. So they bring a cat and the cats breed like crazy. And then in 20 years, they have a cat problem. And then, you know, they... You just can't like. So it's not. It's not understanding and therefore respecting that Mother Nature knows a, a thing or two, <laughs> maybe more than you. Yeah, and I think we have something to learn from from that. Yeah. So in twelve step groups, when I was in twelve step groups, so I want to. We talked about the biological implications of this, but I want to um, move this over to social issues yeah which is what happens when you create a um a social group that is homogeneous they're singular in thought and they're close to new ideas china <laughs> well okay that's kind of big but let's yeah. let's talk about um smaller groups in in 12-step groups one thing that i really found fascinating when i was attended 12-step groups for like eight years was that they say the meeting is built for the newcomer. Now, that's a very different idea, and it's very countercultural because I want to paint a picture for other organizations where, like, like in a sorority or a fraternity, you have these hazing weeks where the newcomer gets their ass kicked because it's all out of respect to be humbled and humiliated. They're not worthy until they have this done to them. Yes, and until they become kind of senior. The, the senior tradition is what's respected. And I think this is true in the church. I think this is true in schools. I think this is true in government, where we respect the older way of doing things, the more established way. And I don't think this is bad, by the way. But what I learned in 12-step groups is when the newcomer comes 
everyone kind of drops and has this instant respect for this new energy and curiosity, knowing that if we don't acknowledge this, the group will die in the Mm -hmm. long run. So you can respect old, the old ways, but I feel like if you are close-minded to any new energy or new ways of thinking, then the old ways are going to die and, and people are going to die along with it, like be yes, suffer. Or, or they because... become this like shell of a thing that, you know how we have these traditions that people are doing? It's like these obscure laws that are like in the law books. Like I think in Georgia, you're like not allowed to have anal sex. Um, really? Like to this day, yeah. Uh, mm. I mean, it's called like sodomy. Makes sense. And it's it like would be in Georgia. It's illegal. <laughs> and but it came from like the 18th century, where yeah. it just like never got changed. And then, but there's entire organizations that exist this way, where people show up and follow the rules, and no one knows who they're for anymore or why they do it. But the rules take on this larger than life power. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <clears throat> moving on to this article. The peculiar evil of silencing the expression of an opinion is that it is robbing the human race posterity as well as the existing generation, those who dissent from the opinion. Still more than those who hold it. So, okay, so what this is saying is that when you silence somebody, mm-hmm. there's a cost to the, the one being silenced. But there's actually more of a cost to the group itself. There's a ripple effect that happens. Yes. And seeing this in 12-step groups was so fascinating because it was very stark. Like you have these people who are like the veterans, the respected elders. Like I had this um, sponsor who was who had literally been in the group for 28 years. So this guy knew the literature inside and out. He's the one people went to for answers and if anyone received a larger-than-life voice, you'd think it'd be this guy. But one of the things he taught me is that in these meetings, the newcomer has just as much of a voice, which is crazy. What some guy, Just as much to offer. Yes. Some guy could show up off the street literally for the first time, and he's kind of this like dimwat. Like, he doesn't know anything. Maybe he's literally drunk at the time. And yet, the person who has 28 years of experience does not have more of a voice than the newcomer dimwat. Hmm. It's it's really inefficient. It's counterintuitive, too, I think, to how we think, at least in our culture, um, to think that someone new to a system has just as much to offer as someone older. So I want to now transfer this to what it looks like in a family because I think this is a really important issue that we've dealt with a lot. Hmm. Cancel culture is present in families. It's not just a cultural idea. It's a very, very common practice where when someone, and I'm just going to use the example of children, Mm-hmm. When one of our children doesn't have an opinion that we like for a lot of various reasons, it's easy to essentially cancel them and or silence their voice or opinion in specific instances or in macro ways. Yeah. Um, and this is this tendency has happened a lot for me with our children. 
um, there are times and places like it's so easy. And I guess I need to back up with how we were raised and how we used to parent because we were raised with this spiritual ideal that elders should, um, deserve respect. And that looked a certain way. Respect meant you had less of a voice than your elders. Yeah, and there was these biblical ideas that were like, honor your father and mother, and basically like obedience was... The biggest goal. Highly regarded. Yeah. And so when a kid didn't comply or obey, either directly physically or even um, like verbally, like if a kid asked a question, Mm -hmm. it was almost automatically labeled as rebellion. Yeah. Which means what? Yeah. What does rebellion mean? What's the definition? Because in our culture, we see it as a bad thing to rebel. We see it as a bad thing in certain ways. Certain ways. We see it as a bad thing when people rebel against us but then like or the I mean, status quo i want to remind people i'm not a fucking whiz at um, at u.s history here but all of the u.s is a rebellion yeah. against what the british the british yeah and we seem to be the fucking fine with that yeah but then we're like so we don't see ourselves as rebellious when it's convenient for us but then when someone rebels against us we're like well obviously or our ideology if they rebel against our values. Yeah. So we're all rebellious to someone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But then when people are rebellious to us, and I think the rebellious label, what I noticed I used it for was when I could call my kid rebellious, it meant I didn't have to take their opinion or feeling seriously. Yeah. I could dismiss it mm-hmm. and say, I'm in the right You're just rebelling. And therefore, I don't need to listen to you and take your opinion into account. Hmm. Yeah. Which I guess what I would ask is, is that different from bullying? Bullying is like on its narrowest definition level, it's like using your power and force to get your way. Hmm. And by the way, or a lot, to feel better about yourself. Yeah. And a lot of bullies are probably right. Like, you know, the US as a country is probably a bully. The Crusades with Christians, where they go around bullying, you know, you could say, well, I have the right to bully. But it's at the end of the day, it's coercion. You're pushing your opinion and way of life through using force, hmm. which, you know what? God bless it. Maybe there is a time and a place to do it. People are going to say, well, is it always that? Like, and I want to give another example of like, if my kid's on the street and they're going to jump into traffic, someone might say, well, wouldn't you pull them back? Hell yeah, I would. I would bully their ass back to the curb. I would knock them down flat or unconscious if I thought it was going to save their life, like for a four-year-old. But at some point, when they're 16 or even 12 or 10, the question I want to ask is, is bullying using force still the best tool? Or are we doing something that's going to backfire 
not just against the kit itself, because I think there's two costs here, as we already discussed. There's the cost to the person being canceled or having their will coerced or forced upon, but there's also the cost to the organization itself, or in this case, the family unit. Bullying is the easiest thing to do to get to get your whatever you need done. And like you said, maybe there's a time and a place, but if that's the only tool in your toolbox to relate to someone else, uh, I think you're going to have some problems, whatever, whatever system you're in. I still think about, there was this thing that happened on Christmas um, where we, I planned this elaborate party night for the family where we like um, went out to Chinese food and they invited all their friends and then we rented out a movie theater and watched The Grinch mm-hmm. and Rainier man that little shit did not want to go to the van for whatever reason oh really? yeah he was like he well he was saying I mean we're on this tight timeline because I have like yeah. the Chinese food is waiting I like scheduled this shit by the minute yeah and the theater was rented and like the movie starts at a certain time and there's like 20 people there's always moving parts and like and his four-year-old ass was like i want mama to put my seatbelt on uh. and i was like <laughs> go to the van now everyone's waiting and he's like sat there so i grabbed him and i pushed him towards the door and he screamed the entire way to the chinese food <laughs> restaurant and i was like I, I i like the voice of my sponsor from 12-step groups like haunted me because in that moment, I made the decision that basically ignoring or silencing his opinion. And your opinion was more important. Which was that we need to move this minute. Now, if I the, the other option I could have done is I could have waited and let him have his way. Or talk to him about what your need, your need is. Like your need was... We have this food waiting. I feel like I need to hurry. Can you hurry with me, please? But all that shit would have taken time and energy. <laughs> and yeah. it would have taken, but it, but really at the end of the day, it might've taken another minute or two. Yeah, it's really, it, it gets inflated in our heads of, oh, this is taking so long and you get so anxious. But I think in my mind, because yeah. I had spent all this money, I mean, I don't know. We're not talking a thousand bucks. We're talking at least 500 bucks on this night. An effort, like you said, you yeah. planned it all out. That I, in that moment, I discounted his opinion, which he was saying, because what's important to me is that we get here on time. But that's not important to him. What's important to him is that he wanted you to put a seatbelt on or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Now, who wins? Who gets to decide? Is it always the one that's bigger? And has more power. And this is what I've learned. If you go off that mentality that whoever's bigger wins, when you do that with your kids, do not be surprised when they start bullying other people that are smaller than them. Because And then you later when you're Yeah, when you an when old person frail ass can't <laughs> even do a push up, kids are gonna start kicking your ass and bullying you. Yeah, because it's really not about size. It's about maybe strength. Like you bully those that are weaker than yours. Yeah. So we think we're all noble, right? Like I'm like, well, I spent $500 on this night. I have the family's best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. But the method is the message. And if I bully to get my holy, awesome, great thing, 
that's great to me. My kids are going to bully to get what they think is their awesome and great thing to them. And I might not agree with it. Most pe- most of the time we don't agree with whatever the other person's thing is. Mm-hmm. Like, like Rainier didn't give a shit about my timeline or my $500. He wanted to be buckled in by you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't give a shit about his. But who gets to decide? Well, I think there's something really profound and beautiful when the one who has more power lets the one who has less have a say or maybe even more of a say uh, because you're relinquishing your power at that point. Which actually creates the more the a more beautiful environment that I want to be a part of. But it's just not always convenient to do. Hmm. In fact, it's actually when it's inconvenient that it becomes the most valuable, in my opinion. We don't have a lot of time left. We have, what, 15 minutes? So I want to clip along here and talk about a few things of how this actually looks in families. Is um, Cancel culture is kind of weird in our culture because we have these, like, there's these go-to labels. If you say the N-word... If you um, molest. molest someone yeah. or what is it now uh, with the Me Too thing? Is that sexually harassed? Yeah, sexual or... harass or rape or anything like that. It's it's an easy cancellation. With, with the, within family units, it's usually not that black or white. But we have other ways of canceling out people's voices. I think ageism, if someone is, if I'm 40 and you're 18, we have these ways of making fun of teenagers as if because they're smaller, they're dumber or less valuable or their opinion matters less. And I think it can flip the other way too. Like a 30-year-old can dismiss a 55-year-old or a 65-year-old because they're too old. Yeah, they're, they're like out of sync with culture. They don't know mm-hmm. how to use an iPhone or emojis or Spotify. So we're like, oh, that idiot. Like, why would I ask their opinion? Or their opinion almost doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I already said this, but if we see it, we can label a child as rebellious. Like, oh, they smoke, they listen to punk rock, um, they dress a certain way, they act a certain way, they use certain language. So therefore, we dismiss their opinion on a situation. Mm. Um, also, I think we live in a culture where we tend to dismiss feelings outright of any age. Sometimes. It probably tends to be more females who, um, I guess, are more culturally, they cry more, like, in our culture. Whether it's that's actually true or not, I don't know, but visibly. They're overly emotional, and females are overly emotional, and men sh- shouldn't show certain emotions. Yes. Yeah. So when kids, like, throw a temper tantrum or cry or scream or pout— and by the way, those are not necessarily labels that I would recommend using, but that's how we label them as a culture. We automatically say, whatever you're feeling is dismissed because I don't I don't like or I can't handle the medium that it comes in. Hmm. Which I would actually call, and I just came up with this fucking phrase, and I think it's actually kind of brilliant, is articulation discrimination. Because hmm. we say... 
Well, mm-hmm. the kid's crying, and we say, well, I'm not going to take your feelings seriously unless you deliver it to me in this certain tone of voice with calm, collected English language at a 12th grade level. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the kid's fucking four. Yeah. And the way they articulate disappointment is by screaming. Or whining or moaning. Which could be pretty damn good for a four-year-old, actually. Like, I think it's our job as the one that has more power to ask them to draw it out. Like if we don't know what a whine or a groan or means, to ask what's going on. Can you tell me why you're whining? Because then that helps me dismiss it less if I, because I need the articulation, right? The the four-year-old doesn't necessarily need the articulation. Maybe they do, but I need something more than a whine because the whine is too much sometimes for me a lot. And so I'm like, well, why are you whining? <laughs> What's going on? But the actually wanting to know, sometimes I'm just like, why are you whining? And then I don't, I'm not, I just want it to stop. But, but. And I just know what people are going to say or feel when they're hearing this is they're going to say, but if I pay attention to the whining, aren't I endorsing, endorsing it? Whining. Whining, yes. And But I, is that a bad thing? Like what what makes that I think in our in our culture, children that whine are seen as uh, brats and you're being a pushover of a parent. Um, so it's like a negative thing. Well, I would just say, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with whining? And I actually think it's a legitimate question because when you get down to it, on some level, it's not going to work, right? If you become a boss that's whining, like, and you're 40 years old, it's probably not going to work. But if you're four years old and it's the only way you know how to articulate disappointment, who am I to say that's not good enough? And if I listen to the whine... And if my kid learns that they have a voice that's valuable, and if they also learn the older that they get, that there's more sophisticated communication techniques and they're incentivized to learn them, mm-hmm. people naturally grow and evolve yeah. if they feel heard. Yeah. But if they don't feel heard, oftentimes they escalate things, not because they're rebellious or not because they're dumb. But they have an unmet need. Yes. Yeah. That, and this is where I want to get into the cost of not, the cost of cancellation within family. If you don't meet your kids' needs, they will go to someone or someplace else who will. Mm -hmm. I think most often this becomes peer groups. Like as parents, this is one thing that's really important to me is to never make fun of my kids' music, even though sometimes I hate it. (laughs) I think it's a, I think it sucks. I think it's a joke. I think it's melodramatic. I get sick of hearing it. But I never vocalize that. And I try to understand that that's an issue with me, not them. Mm. Because if I make fun of their music, guess what? They're not going to stop. They're going to listen to it, but they're just going to listen to it with someone else. And they're going to start relating to those other people that value their tastes if I'm not willing to do it. Mm. So... This is why when you cancel someone's way of expressing themselves, we think, oh, aha, I won. I put them down. Well, guess what? You lost, motherfucker, because they're still going to be them. You can't change their taste in music by demeaning it. You just 
lost the relationship. So, I mean, that's fine, I guess, if you want to do that. But I think anything we can do to promote unity, and this is where the biggest thing that I've seen is the cost to the family. People are at, every person is an asset of every age and every personality. If you can't see that, that's a lack of our maturity, I think. It's just like saying the beetle doesn't matter. Okay, great. You can think that, but you don't understand the damn rainforest if you think that. Hmm. So it's better, I think, to err on the side of just assuming that even a a crying four-year-old is an asset somehow. They build patience. They bring joy. They bring curiosity. Um, they bring, uh, I mean, a complete lack of judgment to the situation. You know, they'll, I, I know that good way. they're moody. Yeah. Yeah. But when you tell them, like, they have this way of living in the moment, four-year-olds do, or when you tell them something, they'll bring this, like, absolutely unrequited joy, you know, and glee and laughter and freedom. There's so much we have to learn from our four-year-olds. Hmm. And the more we silence them, the more we lose out on that personhood. Hmm. So, I mean, I can't emphasize enough. I've, I've seen this so much in really church circles is where I was first exposed to this, I think, the importance of this. And this happened with us where we were blacklisted from a community and a church and even family members. And it sucked. I hated it. It was lonely. But then I started to see, oh, I actually think we had something to offer. Like we had a perspective that had the family unit or spiritual community been robust enough to include it would have served them. But because they were so fragile, they excluded it. They're functioning in this black and white simplistic way that is pretty intolerant pretty narrow-minded, pretty fragile. Mm-hmm. And it's simpler for them to exclude our voice and our story and our practices. But they lost out too. Yeah. So I want to finish off with our story about the AT. It was the hardest decision we made on the AT. And I'm not going to tell you what the decision was because it would be a spoiler. And this is from our book. Uh, 2,000 Miles Together, the story of the largest family to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I think this is in, it's one of the last four chapters. I don't remember exactly. But it's it's one of the peak lessons from the book, or from just from that time period for me, which I adopted in 12-step groups, which was the power of the unanimous decision. This is something my sponsor taught me, and it drove me crazy because it's so inefficient. But is a family really, is the goal really efficiency? Like, do we really just want to be a well-oiled machine? Is that the highest goal? Yeah, that if something gets in the way, we chew them up and spit them out? Yeah. Or is there an inclusion principle that becomes so valuable that when, because this is something I learned from um, that, uh, what the hell is his name? Seven Highly Effective Habits of Families was the book, uh, Covey. He was telling the story. He said the the most important child to love is the least lovable one because deep down we all know that we're the least lovable. 
So the most important child to accept is the one that fits in the least. Because when you accept that child, everyone will feel accepted. And if you don't accept that child, everyone will deep down, they might be accepted in a certain way, but they'll all kind of, there'll be this certain uncertainty and unsafety where they'll all know that if I was my real self here, I'm Hmm. in danger. If you can love and accept the one that you don't naturally love and accept, there's in a family, I think a greater umbrella of love and acceptance. But if you don't accept that one, that's the hardest, the umbrella of love and acceptance is very, very narrow. And it's not unconditional. Not too, yeah. I mean, you just change, unconditional is unconditional. Yeah. So the second you define a condition, it almost doesn't matter what the condition is because I can almost guarantee the condition will change. Like if it's not rap music, well, in 10 years, rap music is okay. Or it's just like, you Mm -hmm. know, when I was growing up saying fart was bad Mm -hmm. and it's not fart now, but it's other words. So if you just have these lists of things that exclude you, yeah, the list will change, but the exclusion factor will not. So anyways, we're on the AT and we have the most important decision of our entire hike to make, which is what are we going to do about the ending? Mm-hmm. Um, this is in the intro of the book, so I'm not giving it away, but we were not able after hiking 2,187 miles, minus 19 miles for forest fire. <laughs> we were not able to hike the last damn two miles legally. <clears throat> So we had a decision to make. Do we do it anyways? Do we find childcare for Rainier? Because he was the reason we weren't able to do it together as a family. He wasn't allowed his um, because he was less than six. And the one thing that was so powerful, I think about the book and I think about our decision at the time was the decision to make It was the way we made the decision, not the decision itself. And the decision method was unanimity, was Mm -hmm. that every single person had an equal say. Yeah. And we were not going to move forward until we were all on the same page, which is not efficient. The most efficient way would have been for Kamii to announce to our family, this is what is happening. And... We wouldn't have said this out loud, but this is what gets communicated. If you have a problem with it, tough luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is much easier to do in the short run, but I don't think creates the type of resilience, robustness, and the beautiful family ecosystem and structure that I'm interested in. So we took everyone's voice equally into account and made a decision based on that together and it took time yeah it took more than an hour Mm -hmm. and it could have backfired like cammy and i couldn't maybe wouldn't have gotten our way but the upside was at the end of that decision every single person owned it yeah felt like it was theirs their decision which i think investing in that type of relationship is more important to me now than getting my specific correct way. Like as an example, okay, let's take the Christmas night. I don't think it really would have mattered that I was two minutes late, but I put a rift in my relationship with Rainier, teaching him that bullying is a 
good way to deal with conflict that I do remember now, what are we, almost a month later. Mm-hmm. So that just shows that the relationship is more important to invest in than any specific principle that seems so damn important to me at the time that results in the exclusion or cancellation of a member of my family's voice. Hmm. Yeah. So you got to read the book to find out what the family unanimously decided if you Mm -hmm. haven't already. Yep. And my urging, if you're just getting started in this, which is a very difficult concept is keep on doing what you're doing. If you're, if you tell your kids to shut up and you cancel their voice, um, you know, you don't need to stop cold turkey or anything, but make a mental note and just say to yourself, oh, I just bullied my kid. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think I might go back and apologize to Rainier for that. Hmm. Uh, because I'll, I'll actually, I'll bet you he'll remember it. <laughs> Probably. Fuck, he's remember shit. <laughs> That's what, probably why the other day he was like, I think dad is a little bit dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so even that, I could say, shut up, not using those words. I, I told say, him that's not nice. But I think that's even a cancellation in a way. Yeah. I, I think a way... Because that's his way of saying he has a problem with me. Yeah. So instead of canceling that and saying mm-hmm. your opinion is not important, I think a way to draw it out would be to say, why do you say that? And actually be curious. And I'm going to read the final line here of this article, and I'll post the link below. But it says, when someone practices toleration, they don't just put up with something, but actually, actually acknowledge it with a kind of open spirit. Intentional, meaningful tolerance includes making an effort to understand others' points of view. We don't have to agree, but we should seek to understand. Hmm. If we're going to be the true leaders of this family, we have two methods to do it. One is by bullying and teaching people that using force is the best way to get what you want, which if you're... Like us, we teach our kids that bullies are insecure, and that's why they bully, because they're weak, not because they're strong. Force is a second-rate method compared to actually being able to love and include and win people over with a better way. Hmm. So ultimately, being big enough to not have to shut someone up but be able to really absorb their pain— an opinion, even if you don't agree with it, I think is coming from a more powerful place. And that's the type of leadership I want to exemplify with our family. Hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. You can check out the book, 2000 Miles Together, um, the story of our hike that contains our successes and failures in listening to our children. There's a lot of failures in there as well. If you want more specific stories that are not always pretty to share or read or hear about. You can get it on Amazon. uh, But if you want to support us doubly, you can get it on our merch site, which is fight for together. One word dot big cartel, B I G C A R T E L dot com. All links in the description. Thanks. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.